although there's no particular order to to what I put out on this podcast, although there will be, there will be times where, for example, I may do a a, a mindfulness series of podcasts. I may do a spiritual series of podcasts or exercise movements, so forth and so on. But right now I want to talk about Wing Chun, um, which obviously Wing Chun or Jeet Kune Do both well they're not they're not the same they're actually separate i mean wing chun most people find her synonymous with you know bruce lee you know bruce lee knows wing chun and and although that's true he was a, a an amazing amazing uh practitioner you know taught by ip man or yip man um no doubt about that but um i just want to share the basic history what i'm aware of with wing chun um, which is, which to me is just fascinating. The the story itself, and again, forgive me. I'm not. I don't speak fluent Chinese, so I may get some of the wording wrong. So feel free to correct me. But um, I'll try to get some of this, some of this right. Um, I remember years ago I had a book. Um, I had a martial arts book by David Carradine that I used to that I used to be really fond of, and uh, it's called The Spirit of Shaolin, S H A O L I N. And David Carradine was, when I was a kid growing up, there was a show on TV called Kung Fu, which a lot of you are, are familiar with. And I was just, again, fascinated by all of that, you know, wisdom and martial arts and stuff. So I remember getting this book when I was in my 20s. I want to say my 20s and uh, late 20s. And, um, you know, just studying. I used to go to the parking lot at work and I'd eat my lunch in my car and I'd read the book and I'd meditate on stuff and just, just was just fascinated by it. And um, soon after that, actually, I got into uh, formal Kung Fu training. But I was fascinated by the story of the Shaolin Temple in China. And and from what I was, what I've been told and what I've read about and what I know about Wing Chun is uh, actually a lot of, a lot of the arts seem to have their their ties even tai chi and qigong to the shaolin temple in china and um and i believe it was in the 17th century um that it started wing chun started um and it was uh it, it started it sort of tied into buddhism as well um around the 17th century i know it's a southern chinese martial art uh, it's about, from what I recall, it's like somewhere around 300 years old. And based on historical archives, um, they they talk a lot about um, a Shaolin Buddhist nun. And uh, again, in the 17th century, it was during the the Manchu time period, Manchu era in China. Um, and I think it was the, I, I want to say the Sing, Sing Dynasty, Dynasty, it's Q-I-N-G. I don't know how to say that again. Is it Qing or, I want to say Qing, but I know it's not Qing. Probably Qing Dynasty uh, during the Manchu area. And simultaneously, there was, as a lot of people are aware, of a Indian monk named Bodhidharma, uh, the Indian prince, who had sought enlightenment to go outside the kingdom um, in China, his name, I believe, was Damo, D-A-M-O, two words, Damo, Damo, I think it's Damo, but it's Bodhidharma simultaneously now. So he's instructing monks um, in India and then China in the art of meditation. And, um, 
you know, slow, slow movement exercises and things, but primarily philosophy and meditation stuff. So he's, he's sharing Buddhism at the same time. And um, those techniques founded a new school of Buddhism or a generalized school or a, a belief system in China known as uh, Chan, Chan or Chan, that's C-H-A-N in China. And that was later renamed and brought into Japan as Zen, Z-E-N, Zen. So it's interesting how it sort of transpired somehow. I mean, there's so many different writings and books and uh, scriptures on all of this stuff. So I sort of put together a lot of different papers and, and, and writings on this stuff to kind of come up with, with this generalized knowledge. So again, tying Bodhi, Buddhism by Bodhidharma. Um, you know, going back to the Shaolin Temple and uh, Chan in China and Zen in Japan. And the monks, uh, so remember a monk. I mean, most of us picture a monk, you know, shaving your head and wearing a robe. And by the way, generally speaking, the, the reason they do that is so, you know, you don't have to worry about your, your appearances so much. You're sort of uh, letting that go. You're wearing just a simple robe, simple, simple, simple stuff. Um, but nonetheless, a monk is dedicated to spiritual enlightenment. And they were taught breathing, breathing exercises and different movement exercises um, and try to endure long periods of meditation. I mean, my first, my first meditation class, I think I told this before, but um, it was in Providence Zen Center where I was formally trained. And, you know, the first sessions were like a few minutes, maybe even 10 minutes. It was just brutal. Like, wow, I, you know, my mind was just crazy all over the place. And a lot of you can relate to this stuff. And it took so long to finally get there. Um, and then finally in the formal hall, you know, when they do their formal full meditations around half half hour, I believe it was 31 or 32 minutes. And um, and it's amazing. It's amazing when you're able to do that. But anyway, they were, they were all able to endure some of these monks' meditation periods that were in excess of not just hours, but sometimes days. Um, there's stories of Bodhidharma meditating to almost sickness and death. I mean, um, but some of these monks, incredible. They can just meditate for such a long time. So they, so they learned these movements and breathing techniques that allowed them to, to meditate for long periods of time. And a lot of these movements and breathing exercises have uh, actually led to a lot of the various martial arts and movements. So kind of picture that, picture what's going on here in the Shion Temple, picture Buddhism and picture Zen and Chan China and picture the monks and picture these slow movements and then picture, because uh, there's more to these stories, I'm just try trying to abbreviate it, but now picture uh, certain uh, uh, generals or, or higher up authorities studying this stuff and they, they see, uh, for example, there's stories to be told with Qigong and um, uh, Tai Chi, but following animal movements you know think of uh you know mantis style kung fu that i learned um you know with the praying mantis you know there's obvious correlations with a lot of these animals so picture a master looking at an animal fighting or a, a, a crane or a tiger or a snake watching them in battle and in in sort of mimicking those movements and you start to build a uh, a picture here but let me go back to uh wing chun and the uh Shilin temple there was a, this is what's fascinating about Wing Chun, and I'm sure a lot of you know about this, and some of you don't know this, but it actually began with a nun. There was a nun um, 
I, I, re- I remember, so my master, uh, Master Young, my uh, Tai Chi instructor, talks about Wu Wei. Okay, and, uh, but this woman, I, that's how I remember her name. This nun's name is Wu Mei, W-U-M-E-I. If you look it up, there are other pronunciations and other names in different, different countries, but her, her formal Chinese name was Wu, Wu Mei. And um, she was a daughter of a general of the Imperial Army. And um, she was, picture her in this Shaolin, um, I won't call it an encampment, a uh, Shaolin temple, if you will, okay? And picture her, she's being raised by uh, an Imperial Army uh, general. And she was highly educated. She was a musician, a writer. She was good at medicine and certainly military training, you know, through her father. And this was, again, around the, around the time of the, again, I don't know how to pronounce it, but I want to say uh, Ying, Q-I-N-G dynasty, around the, somewhere around the 1700s, like late 1600s, early 1700s. And uh, it was during a time when, you know, there were all these battles going on. And, you know, you have the Manchu army battling with the Ming, Ming emperor um, and, and, you know, conquering this and conquering that. And so, you know, the Manchu army are dethroning the Ming emperor and conquering China's capital areas, you know, all the busy areas. And this is, this is cool, too. And since, since that was going on, the Xion Temple was actually a haven for a lot of these rebel forces. And... Um, I mean, the Shaolin Temple went through a lot of stuff. I could probably spend hours talking about the Shaolin Temple, but um, so the rebel forces are hiding out. And, uh, you know, for people, it was very secret, though. You know, you see, you have these rebels in there. And to identify people that should be in the temple and not, they created this sign. And again, you got, you, people that know martial arts will know this, this sign here, what I'm alluding to here. But they had to identify people that were coming into the temple. And they had this sign where if you hold up your right hand right now and make a fist. Okay, so you hold up your right hand and make a fist like I'm doing right now. And your left hand, you're going to form in the shape, your left hand form in the shape of a, of a moon symbol, kind of like a C, if you will, or cup your hand or make a straight hand with your left hand and curve it slightly like a moon. So that's the sun and the moon symbol. And what you do is you'd cover your right hand with your left hand. So the sun and the moon. And that was sort of a, a friendly symbol to show uh, the open hand over the closed right fist um, that a lot of people use. I remember, you know, using it formally in in kung fu class, where you sort of bow your head and do that, and it means no harm. Um, I was taught that that was basically no weapons in hand. You know, it was a friendly way of saying, "Hey, I come in peace." But apparently, that's the uh, this is the history of the kung fu bow. Um, you know, the sun and the moon symbol. Um, so again, back to the Shilin Monastery or the temple. Um, Take a drink of my coffee. Hold on a second. And I don't drink a lot of coffee, but I do drink some coffee. It's very delicious. But anyway, so a lot of stuff is going on here um, with with battles going on. And um, so they're doing their training. They're doing their meditation training. And you have the rebels. And... Um, the Manchurian government at the time was was afraid of this rebellious uprising, and they're sending pictures, sending troops into the area, and uh, 
you know, trying to have certain monks betray their monastery leaders. And, and so what they did sometimes, in fact, often in this one particular case, they set it on fire um, from the inside. And again, this is a particular story tying into um, Wing Chun. So there's this great fire at this Shaolin temple, and uh, there were there were only a few survivors. There were like a handful of survivors, but many people were killed because they're setting these fires. So picture this this Shaolin temple burning down, and and there were a handful of survivors. I can't remember if it was four four five or six, but it was that few people that were. Um, that that survived this, and one of the survivors was this was this nun, um, Wu Wu Mei, and um, so after this happened, she was intent on developing a a form of uh, of skill of mind body fitness skill kung fu um, that could that could w- start working against the military. So this woman, monk, Wu Mei. Um, she'd found out about the, about Emperor Ming's, uh, killing her parents, I believe. And she again turned to the Shaolin Temple, um, to continue studying a way to, to battle this type of thing. So Wu Mei started developing technique and, um, her technique emphasized strength and acrobatics and flowing hands. So picture this, picture this woman monk you know, meditating and doing movement exercises like, like Qi Kung exercises. And she's got flowing hands. You know how uh, Qi Kung and Tai Chi have flowing hands. And picture a woman embellishing movements and replacing them with innovative techniques she comes up with, you know, new, new exciting innovations, you know, in movement. And she, she knew, as the story goes, she knew it'd be very challenging to, to match up against the strength of, of, her male adversaries who had, you know, armor and, you know, heavy bone structure and muscle mass and things. And she started developing uh, ways to incorporate Qi Kung into uh, certain movements that really emphasized internal power. And uh, that's the key right there is internal power, you know, core power or intentive power, intention, as my uh, master Yang will tell about, you know, your, the your intention is really, really important. It starts with your intention. And she really worked hard on that and came up with um, some combat strategies, um, which were very philosophical, and they'll sound very familiar to Bruce Lee talking later, you know, form of no form and strategy of no strategy or move like water. She came up with a lot of this stuff, and um, she, she continued to work at it and develop it and, you know, again, thinking of thinking back, I remember her talking about being still as water, still as a lake and uh, no, a strategy with no strategy. You know, a lot of cool philosophy, again, that had to do with philosophy inside or the intention um, and counterattacks, that there were counterattacks. There were always counterattacks to attacks. And um, so it was close quarter combat that she developed being able to, again, deal with some of these warriors and she's teaching a lot. So remember, she's teaching a lot of people. A lot of people are fascinated by this and she's teaching a lot of people. Um, so she had no official name or classification. You know, she's just developing this distinct martial art and she's focusing on the contraction and relaxation of, of, uh, of muscles and tendons and things. 
instead of, you know, think of traditional karate and uh, uh, Shaolin Temple, uh, Temple training where they still did this, but, you know, bone conditioning, you know, slamming your arm against trees and muscles, flexibility and strength, lifting weights and things and, you know, carrying heavy weights upstairs and all that, which they do. The, the Shaolin warriors were incredible, but her overall martial arts started into a new system um, that actually developed... And there's more to this story, but it developed into the Chen family style of Tai Chi, Tai Chi Quan. Um, and again, you can start to see where this branches out, right? So now that you now you've got over here, you've got Tai Chi Quan starting over here. Again, that that had a lot to do with Wu Mei. Okay, so you got Tai Chi Quan, or at least the inspiration of and the formation of the Chen family, Tai Chi Quan. Um, so so she so you've got a lot of different things going on at the same time, um, but now let's go back to the temple. Near the temple, there was a village that she'd go to often, to to get supplies and different things, and and she met there at the um, at this village, she met somebody named uh, Yim Yim Wing Chun. Right, just think of the name there, Yim, Y I M. And in her middle and last name, Wing Chun, and her father, Yim Yi. So after, you know, she obviously befriended these people and then found out that these people, you know, Yim Wing Chun and her father, Yim Yi, were threatened by uh, powered landowners. And, you know, you can picture it, land powered landowners. And I guess this landowner insisted that Yim Wing Chun get married uh, to to him and against her father's wishes. And you could picture this in a movie setting almost. And um, so, of course, y Yim Wing Chun's father was prosecuted for a crime. You know, you could picture him being taken away and, you know, all of this fighting going on. And it was horrible. So... Um, it just, you know, think of local bullying and, and all this kind of stuff. So anyway, so Yim at the time, this this woman, Yim Wing Chun at the time, from what I remember, she's an attractive young woman. And um, I guess the local bullies tried to beat her up and attempted to rape her and things. And so and so let's go back again to um, to Wu Mei. And she heard about this. She heard about these attempted attacks and rapings or whatever. And uh, for Yim Wing Chun, and decided to take her on as a student. And um, she taught her, you know, a lot of her skills, and and they worked together. And she started to pass along some of this material to her. And uh, again, these are small women with small frames, but developed incredible power, from what I recall reading, with incredible energy and power, and intention, and all this stuff. And 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 she, as a nun, made an oath to protect this young woman, Yim Wing Chun, and and then um, again she started to train her and um, you know got stronger and stronger, and they were able to defeat a lot of these men warriors and men tra trained very well trained uh, men fighters and things because they just had a different skill. So anyway, she became proficient in the art. And continued to uh, uh, they continued to train for quite some time, and then eventually uh, Yim Wing Chun had had confronted this landowner, this violent uh, landowner, and defeated him in single combat, and uh, she got married, 
and they continued to develop this style that was passed on to her, which was eventually named formally Wing Chun Quen. I think it's Quen. Again, forgive my Chinese. It's horrible, but K-U-E-N. Wing Chun Quen. That's why I call it Quen. Um, so her husband, uh, Yim's, Yim Wing Chun's husband, now husband, uh, apparently a, a wonderful guy. There's, there's more about him, but um, he had helped name this. But that was the formal name, Wing Chun. That's where it started. And uh, so what is Wing Chun? What does it even mean? So everything I read about says Wing Chun translates to perpetual beautiful springtime. Quan uh, Quan is fighting, fighting style and um, like like fist fighting style. But, but Wing Chun itself, perpetual beautiful springtime. And... Um, so, so now there's this Wing Chun style and, you know, he and she taught their family and, and her husband taught his brother and, you know, different styles were incorporated. There was a pole technique. Uh, I don't remember all the names. There's so, so many names and so many lineages, um, but they, they developed into other types of fighting styles, but all with a Wing Chun background. Um, but it, was, it, it grew and grew and grew. And they got stronger and stronger. And then they were down in the Kwangtung uh, province. I remember Kwangtung province. Or um, and they were instructing this. And the classes grew so much that they also, and then they also simultaneously started to become uh, instructors for the military. And they needed more space. So when you need more space, you need a bigger place to, to train these, these, uh, these new students. And um, so they found this big temple. This is really cool. They found this big temple owned by the Yip family, Y-I-P. So they rented the Yip family temple as a place to teach this art. And one of the new students was one of their kids, Yip Man. You know, Yip Man. So YIP, Yip Man, he was around, I think he was 12 or 13 years old. And uh, eventually Yip Man's father had passed away. And everything he'd learned from this, this man, uh, uh, Lung Beek, uh, the son, one of the sons of, uh, what's his name here? I wrote this one down, Lung, Lung John, L-E-U-N-G-J-A-N. Yeah. And then years later, it became a formidable, a formidable force in Wing Chun. And everyone knows Yip Man went on to train his son uh, and the legendary Bruce Lee. So Yip Man's son, who I saw a cool video of Yip Man's son. Um, gosh, I don't know if he's still alive, but I saw this on YouTube recently. But anyway, everyone knows Yip Man um, trained Bruce Lee. And then Bruce Lee took it from there and then eventually developed Jeet Kune Do, which is sort of his own version of Wing Chun nonetheless. But that... That more or less is like the basics, the basic history of of Wing Chun, um, which again, think about a, a a monk, a nun, a monk Wu Wu Mei, having to start all this stuff, and you know finding to rent a hall by the Yip family, and uh, I don't know, just such a cool cool history, and there's so much more to tell about. Wing Chun and you know I'm still being formally trained in uh in the practice so I'm not going to be one thing here is I'm never going to profess to know 
everything. I don't think anybody knows everything. And I'm not going to pretend to be an expert in Wing Chun. All I am is fascinated by it. I've been fascinated by it for years. I've been training in it for years, now formally being trained in it by uh, Master Wong's techniques and trainings. And, and he's a great guy with a great, great system. Um, I'll talk more about him too. But I just wanted to share the brief history of Wing Chun. Okay, start, you know, um, remember, Wing Chun roughly translates to perpetual beautiful springtime. Quan means fist or fighting style. Um, so that's it. All started by a Buddhist nun. Very, very cool stuff. And I encourage you, um, if you don't know anything about Wing Chun and you, you're a fan of uh, Netflix or YouTube, just look up Ip Man. Um, my wife calls him IP man, I-P-M-A-N, but I guess it's formal. the formal word would be Y-I-P-M-A-N, yep, man. So look it up, check it out for yourself, and um, I'll try to share more with this, about this, as soon as I can.